My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Even at 29, Shanda Crane was still her parents' princess. She was a daddy's girl. Whatever my mom wanted, my mom got. But then... Tragedy struck. They found Landor and Bobby Spears shot to death. It just looked like it was an execution. And it looked like someone was targeting the family. There had been two other homicides in their family. Was Shanda in danger? Authorities looked hard to see if the uh, murders were related. Or did Daddy's girl have a deadly secret? They've been so disappointed in me. Washington Parish, Louisiana, January 25th, 1995. It was a quiet winter day in this rural community, an hour and a half northeast of New Orleans. It's mostly farms, woods, fields, no really city, little bitty country stores. And at around noon that Wednesday, 29-year-old Shanda Crane and her eight-year-old daughter were on their way to see Shanda's parents, Lander and Bobby Spears. The Spears owned a dairy farm, and it was in a rural, very rural area. It was just farms, a few small stores, and, and a few houses. But as they neared her parents' farm, Shanda spotted something unusual up ahead. The hired hand that worked on the farm was out by the main road. A young fellow who was a milk can that had been hired to, I think, maybe just come help clean up. Uh, around the, the barn. As Shanda approached, the hired hand flagged down the car 
and told Shanda that he'd spent the morning working around the dairy barn like he always did. But then around noon, he'd gone to the house and knocked on the door to speak to Lander. Couldn't get anybody to answer the door. And when he looked in, he saw something disturbing. Mrs. Spears was face down in the hall. Unable to get inside, the farmhand ran toward the road, hoping to flag down someone who could help. It scared him, and uh, he went back out to the highway where Shanda Crane ran across him. He said, something's wrong with your mama. Frightened by what she'd heard, Shanda immediately drove up to the house with her father's hired hand. He showed her uh, what he could see. And what Shanda saw was enough to send anyone into a panic. Her mom was bloody. From the porch, Shanda ran back to where her daughter waited in the car and then sped down the road to a small country store. She went to the store to call 911. <laughs> Deputies were on the scene within minutes. When the call came over the radio, I was the closest officer to the residents. And once they made entry, the deputies uncovered a scene that would strike terror into the tight-knit rural community. They found Landor and Bobby Spears shot to death. Even more terrifying, there had been two previous murders within the family in the past six weeks, leaving the authorities wondering, was someone killing off the Spears one by one? They was suspecting the people that killed my uncle was who killed my grandparents. And if so, could Bobby and Lander's daughter, Shanda, be next? Born in 1965, Shanda Spears spent her entire life in Washington Parish. It's a nice community, good people. Very quiet town, nice people. Everybody looks out for everybody. People know who you are and you know who people are. And pretty much everyone in Washington Parish knew Shanda's parents, Lander and Bobby Spears. They're a very prominent, well-known, well-liked family. They had money. Money that mostly came from the family's successful dairy farm. There used to be a large number of dairy farms across the northern part of the parish. On the side, Shanda's father also owned a small roadside bar. It's on one edge of their property up on the, uh, the highway. As a child, Shanda grew up roaming the fields of her family's 200-acre dairy farm. She had a good childhood. I never seen her with a frown or nothing on her face. She always had a smile. And from an early age, Shanda learned to handle the family's dairy herd. We had to go get them up in the backfield and get them up to the barn. And while Shanda may have worked hard on the farm, her parents also spoiled her. She was a daddy's girl. She had everything she wanted, a big in-ground swimming pool, private school. And when she turned 16, a sporty convertible. She drove a little MG midget. At Bowling Green School in Franklinton, Shanda was an excellent student. She's very smart. She was involved in a lot of stuff at school. And the pretty privileged teen was popular, too. She was somebody everybody wanted to be. I know that she was a cheerleader. And during her senior year in high school, Daddy's Little Princess became a beauty queen. 
She got Farm Bureau Queen one year there in Washington Parish at the fair. Two years after graduation, the former Farm Bureau Queen had a new boyfriend and a new baby. He was not married to Shanda when she was born. They never would marry. Soon after her daughter was born, Shanda broke up with the baby's father. She took the little girl and moved back in with her parents. She always had a good relationship with them. The family was all very close. You know, they looked out for each other. Shanda lived with her parents for two years before moving out again after falling in love with a local truck driver named Brent Crane. He drove all over. He sold wholesale flowers out of an 18-wheeler to Florist. In 1987, 22-year-old Shanda married Brent, and soon after, she gave birth to a second daughter. And two years later, she had a third child, Megan. But with a growing family, life was tough for Shanda and her truck driver husband. We moved a couple places. I know we live right on the Mississippi border. My dad and my mom had a place. Then we moved out to Pine, Louisiana. Although whenever they needed a little extra money to get by, Shanda could always lean on her parents, Lander and Bobby. My grandparents was very supportive of my mom. My mom could go to them. Shanda's parents were always happy to help and dote on her little girls. They spoiled us. Especially Lander, who now had three little princesses to indulge. Pawpaw did a lot with us girls. Um, took us to the store, always bought us candy. And thanks to her parents' supportive example, Shanda seemed to excel at motherhood. Mom would cook for us, sit down with us, watch TV, and play with us. She was a good mama. She always took care of her girls. But even with her parents' help, being a stay-at-home mom wasn't quite within Shanda's reach. Mom would work for my dad's brother, who owns a florist. She helped him with delivering flowers and depositing checks and stuff. Shanda also helped out at her father's farm. She was a bookkeeper for the dairy, and she also milked the cows. I don't think she had a salary that, she, that they were giving her. They were taking care of things for her, getting her groceries and paying bills and things like that. Still, it allowed her to spend a lot of time with her children. My mom would take us to school, go to work. She'd pick us up. We had a normal life. And at 29, the mother of three had a family that loved her and would do anything for her. My papa would have sold all of his inheritance, all of what he worked for, to make sure my mom had what she needed. But in January of 1995, a horrible tragedy would tear Shanda's loving family apart and strike the two people who loved her most. Coming up, deputies make a puzzling discovery. Nothing real was taken. And that leads them to wonder, is the entire family in danger? Landor Spears' cousin, Howard Spears, was murdered. It was a little after noon on January 25, 1995, when 29-year-old Shanda Crane called 911 from a country store in rural Washington Parish, Louisiana. Shanda Crane made a call from a, a, 
a little grocery store that was maybe a mile or so down the road going east from her parents' house. And the reason Shanda called for help, she had just seen something disturbing through the window of her parents' house. She goes to go get in a house, couldn't get in a house. She seen her mom had blood on her, so she went call 911. Within minutes, sheriff's deputies had converged on the isolated farm of Shanda's parents, Lander and Bobby Spears. They were dairy people. A high percentage of the population are dairy farmers in Washington Parish. The Spears were well known too, even to the first deputy who arrived at the scene. It's a small community and you, you pretty much know everybody. Although when Deputy Stevens first arrived at the Spears farm, the place appeared deserted. No one was around the house. Shanda and the hired hand who'd first discovered something was amiss were still a few miles down the road, waiting at the country store where they'd placed the 911 call. I knocked on the door, I didn't get an answer. And when the deputy went inside, he confirmed Shanda's worst fears. Shanda's mother was dead outside the bedroom door. Her mom was in a hallway laying down. She had blood on her. And the bloody scene in the hallway wasn't the only indication of foul play. In the bedroom just beyond where Bobby lay dead was yet another victim. Her dad was dead in bed with a gunshot wound to the head. There were bullet holes in the wall behind the bed. Bullet holes that allowed the investigators to reconstruct what must have happened. Someone had walked in the room. He had set up in the bed and they shot him. And based on where the deputies found her, Shanda's mother, who slept in a different bedroom, must have heard the gunshots. Evidently, when she heard the shots, she got up out of bed and came out of the bedroom. At that point, she was shot. But why would someone kill the couple? It didn't appear to be a robbery. Burglary never crossed my mind. It didn't look like a robbery to much. Nothing really was taken. Instead, it looked as if whoever shot Lander and Bobby had come to the house that morning with one thing in mind. Just looked like it was an execution. And the fact that Lander and Bobby's killers hadn't ransacked the house wasn't the only thing that led the investigators to believe that the couple had been targeted. It was discovered that the telephone lines had been cut. But most disturbing of all, the double murder was only the most recent in a string of incidents involving Lander's family. Six weeks prior to this, Landor Spears' cousin, Howard Spears, was murdered. And a few weeks after that... Lander's brother, Richard, he was murdered. Was it merely a coincidence? Or was someone stalking the Spears family? Authorities looked hard to see if the uh, murders were related. Law enforcement tried to connect the dots. And they found that the deaths of his cousin and brother had clearly put Lander and his wife, Bobby, on edge. Some members of the Spears family at that point were extremely fearful for their lives. In fact, Lander had been so fearful after his brother's murder that just days before his own death, he'd gone out and bought a gun 
and he asked a friend who was a sheriff's deputy for advice, too. Show him how to use it and operate it and all that. Yet for all his fears, as far as investigators knew, Lander didn't have any enemies. He got along with everybody. I've never heard him have a crossword with anyone. And they were soon able to rule out any connection between his death and his brother's murder. There had been an arrest in the Richard Spears homicide. The person that killed Richard, he was in jail. You know, there was no way he could have done it. With no other leads, the next morning, the investigators turned to the dead couple's daughter, Shanda. I took her in my office and uh, interviewed her. I didn't interrogate her. I just talked to her at some length. According to Shanda, her day had started like every other. She headed to her dad's dairy barn. Anywhere from a quarter after 7 to 7.30, because it took me about 20, 25 minutes to get up there after I got my kids on the bus. She arrives way before daylight to milk the cows. Shanda told the investigators her parents had both been asleep when she arrived. I said, I'll go get the cows up and um, get everything ready. And she expected her parents would sleep in. My grandparents and my grandma had been at the bar very late. They had came in maybe 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Shanda had her oldest daughter with her that morning. The 8-year-old had stayed home from school. My sister had an ear infection. And she stayed at the farmhouse while Shanda milked. She dropped her off at my grandparents' house and put her in the bed with my grandpa. According to Shanda, her parents had still been asleep when she finished her milking. So she brought her daughter back out to the car and drove to town. So I went home and I cleaned up some. I had to go pay my electricity bill. But around lunchtime, as she drove back to her parents' farm, Shanda said she was surprised to see her father's hired hand standing out by the highway. He says, Shanda, something bad happened. I said, somebody's laying in the highway. He says, and they just covered with blood. Blood's everywhere. They'd rushed back to her parents' farmhouse, and Shanda said the sight of her mother's bloody body on the floor had sent her into a panic. And I said, I gotta go call 911. At that point, she left there, went out to the little store, made the call. Then, after calling 911, Shanda had called a neighbor and returned to the farmhouse. Not knowing, praying my mom and them laying in there, you know, and that I could help them or something. But when Shanda and the neighbor forced their way in, she discovered that her parents were beyond help. Then they found both her parents were shot. You went in the house? Yeah. But with her parents dead and the authorities on the way, Shanda hadn't stayed at the farmhouse. Instead, fearing for her children's safety, she'd gone to her mother-in-law's and arranged for her to pick up the kids from school. My grandma and my aunt come and picked us up. That was very unusual because they've never done that. We went to my grandma's house and my mom told us what happened. Shanda's daughter, Megan, was only five when her grandparents were murdered. I was so small. I was aware of what was being said, but I don't think I could feel no emotions behind it because I didn't understand it. According to what Shanda told the investigators, she couldn't really understand why someone would kill her parents either. All she could tell them was that perhaps it had something to do with the bar her parents ran. My grandpa had had a lot of altercations with 
people at the bar because they drank and fighting and he didn't allow it. And as it turned out, Shanda was right. The murders did have something to do with her parents' bar. Coming up, the investigators uncover something suspicious. There were checks coming through that were not Landers and Bobby's signature. And they asked Shanda some tough questions. But you need to tell me about your particular little problem that you had, okay? As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. By the afternoon of January 26, 1995, it had been more than 24 hours since Lander and Bobby Spears had been found dead on their dairy farm in rural Washington Parish, Louisiana. Her father shot in the head and her mother dead on a floor. The couple's daughter, 29-year-old Shanda Crane, was the one who called the authorities. Shanda Crane made a call to the sheriff's office to tell them something had happened and to uh, get somebody out there. It appeared that Shanda was the last person to see her parents alive, and that made her a key witness. She was not really, in my mind, a suspect. And as a matter of routine, investigators had ruled out everyone else who had contact with the couple, the hired hand, even their son-in-law, Shanda's husband. My father was eliminated as a suspect because my dad was way off some hours away on a truck. In short, the investigators were stumped. We have really scratched our heads and scratched our heads. But was that about to change? Shortly after they spoke to Shanda, the sheriff's department received a concerned call from a local bank. Apparently, in the days before the murder, there had been some irregularities in the late couple's account. 
They had noticed that there were checks coming through that were not Landers and Bobby's signature. The bankers know their customers and they knew their signatures. Not only had the bank noticed something was wrong, they'd been trying to contact the couple about it prior to their murders. To let them know what was happening. But the bank could never reach Lander and Bobby. The telephone lines had been cut. Was the forgery somehow connected to the murders? It was too soon to know for sure. But as far as who was forging the checks, Lander and Bobby's bankers had a pretty good guess. Shanda. She had control of the books. And as the dairy's bookkeeper, it appeared that Shanda had skimmed a significant amount of money off her parents. She had drained the balance from four or $5,000 down to about three or $400. And when the investigators looked into the florist business that Shanda also kept the books for, they made a similar discovery. She wrote some checks on her husband's company that he worked for. But if Shanda had taken the money, where had it gone? The answer turned out to be right at the end of her parents' bar. In 1991, the state of Louisiana legalized video poker. And unlike some other states, Louisiana didn't restrict the machines to dedicated casinos. State legislature had legalized the, the machines in any business that had a, a license to sell alcohol on premise. Before long, the machines were everywhere. Restaurants, bars, pizza parlors, even donut shops got the liquor license to have, have uh, video poker machines. Shanda's father got a machine for his bar, too. Her dad's bar. That's where she went and played most of the time. She played alongside with her mom. However, unlike her mom, once Shanda started playing, she had a hard time stopping. She became addicted to playing video poker. And when it came to video poker, addiction wasn't Shanda's only problem either. She wasn't good at it. Shanda Crane apparently had lost thousands of dollars in the machines. She was going through any money she could get her hands on. Although since Shanda's parents were her primary source of money, wouldn't their deaths cut her off? Not if there was a way she could cash in. Her parents had a $300,000 life insurance policy. And the insurance payoff wasn't all that Bobby and Lander would leave behind. Well, asset-wise, dairy farmers own uh, uh, tremendous amounts of uh, property. Not just farmland, either. They own all the cows, tractors, and all kinds of equipment and, uh, you know, everything that goes, uh, goes with it. And, of course, the Spears also own the bar out by the highway. However, their sizable estate would be split between their three children. She was not going to receive the whole amount. Not of the estate or the life insurance. $50,000 of it uh, as a beneficiary. Still, with no other viable leads, Shanda's gambling debts, her inheritance, and the fact that she'd been at the farm earlier that morning were enough to give investigators pause. And the police began to suspect that perhaps Shanda had something to do with her parents' murder. Once we found out the problem she had, it kind of narrowed the field down. And on January 30th, 
Five days after her parents' murders, the investigators brought her in for further questioning. They, at that point, decided to interrogate her, question her like she was a suspect rather than a survivor of uh, murder victims. They fingerprinted her. They booked her. They subjected her to a modified strip search. And then, just to make her sweat a little more. They took my mom and put my mom in a holding cell for close to two hours. Shanda was becoming increasingly upset. So upset that when the investigators finally brought Shanda into the interrogation room, she completely broke down. Oh, God, what am I doing? <laughs> Shanda's new story started out just like the first, that she'd gone out to the farm that morning to do the milking, same as always. My heart was so cold, was sick. So you took her to your daddy's house, your mama's house. Mm -hmm. What time did y'all get there? Somewhere between 7 and 7.30, I'm not sure. But after the milking, and after she carried her daughter back out to the car, Shanda's story took a radically different and deadly turn. At that point, she went back inside the uh, the house, got her daddy's gun. It was on the floor. On the floor, laying by your daddy. And just as the investigators suspected, Shanda said she'd taken the gun her father bought for protection and turned it on him. He looked at me. He woke up and you shot the first time? I think so. Do you remember shooting again? Just take your time. It's okay. No, it's not okay. One gunshot went through his head and killed him instantly. There were two shots, I think, maybe three, that were fired in the room, uh, and she missed him with at least uh, one of them. Then, once her father was dead. I remember my mama hollering. She hollered. What did she holler? She just, she just screamed. Shanda went into the other room and shot him up. She made what I could, what could only be described as a very gripping, emotional uh, confession. After shooting her parents, Shanda said that she had gone outside and disposed of the gun. I guess I threw the gun in the oxidation pond. Now, did, did you throw that gun in that oxidation pond? I need a yes and no answer on that one. I think I did. I okay. think that's where I was at when I, I think so. And then, once she ditched the gun, Shanda got in the car with her daughter and drove away. Shanda was out running errands. But why kill her parents? Shanda had a surprising explanation. Her husband. I'm so jealous of my mom and my daddy. So jealous. And he didn't want me up there. He never wanted me up there. And if my mom and daddy was out of the way, he'd feel sorry for me and he'd want me. But investigators suspected her motive wasn't love. She was in financial trouble and she needed some money. But you need to tell me about your particular little problem that you had, okay? Your gambling problem, okay? At that point, Shanda admitted to stealing money from her parents and trying to hide her gambling problem. Shanda resorted to robbing money from her father's bank accounts by writing uh, 
uh, forged checks and that sort of thing to uh, cover her losses. And then, to keep her parents from discovering the theft, she did something drastic. Not for the money, according to Shanda. Instead, she claimed it was for the simple fact that she couldn't face them and admit what she had done. They've been so disappointed in me. I understand. I just wanted to make a part of it. Her confession complete. The investigators placed Shanda under arrest for the murder of her parents. Then they allowed her to speak to her family. My mom called and we talked to her and she told us that she was sorry. But within weeks of her confession, Shanda would be saying something else. Coming up, Shanda takes it all back. I'm tired of sitting back taking reps for something that I didn't do. But can she keep her confession out of court? The entire confession was unconstitutional. On January 13, 1997, Shanda Crane went on trial for murder at the Washington Parish Courthouse in Franklinton, Louisiana. Television stations from Baton Rouge and New Orleans covered the uh, case as did all the newspapers in the area. The interest was due to two things. The first was the crime the 31-year-old was accused of committing. A double homicide of your parents was a pretty, pretty uh, heinous thing. And if she were convicted, the punishment could be severe. It was made pretty clear early on that they were going to be seeking the death penalty. The second thing that made Shanda's case stand out was what had allegedly motivated the murders. Well, the video poker was new in the state of Louisiana, so the press had made it out to be the, the first big crime case based on a gambling addiction. And Shanda had admitted to the murders in a confession she'd made shortly before her arrest. That's the strongest thing the prosecution had without any question was her confession. The, the confession was the basis of their case. But would the jury ever hear it? Six months after her arrest, while held in jail awaiting trial, Shanda had contacted the detectives and requested another interview. And when she sat down with them, she had yet another version of her story. I'm tired of sitting back taking rap for something that I didn't do. Um, I'm tired of it. Shanda retracted her confession and the defense would make an issue of just how much pressure the investigators had allegedly put on her once Shanda's trial got underway. We had a motion to uh, quash the confession. And I believe the entire confession was uh, unconstitutional. According to her attorney, it had to do with the extreme pressure they put on Shanda in order to wring a confession out of her. They immediately took her down, locked her up in a cell. They fingerprinted her twice. They mugshotted her twice. They interrogated her and gave her a, a modified a strip search. And it was only once she was thoroughly intimidated and humiliated that they started grilling her hard. They told her that uh, they knew she had done it. They had the evidence to prove it. They told her that if she did not confess to the crime, that she would die by lethal injection and it would be televised for her children to watch. 
And the only way to avoid that, according to the defense, was for Shanda to say that she killed her parents. Y'all locked me up back there for starters in this little bitty thing. And, and then Harold told me, if you confess, uh, we'll send you to a mental hospital. But if you don't, you're going to get lethal injections. I was scared to death. They told my mom that if she confessed that she did it, they would send her to a mental hospital and she would get to go home with her kids. And with three children under the age of 10, getting home was Shanda's primary concern. She was a young mother. She had some kids who she was trying to protect. They were aware of her fragile state when they asked her to come in. My mom had felt guilty because she had took money from my grandparents for her gambling problem. And according to the defense, when Shanda still refused to confess, the investigators had made one last attempt to exploit the fragile young mother's guilt. They brought in a civil deputy who was also a Baptist minister to sit and talk to her about redemption and God and forgiveness. And according to the defense, it was only then, after hours of grueling intimidation and manipulation, that Shanda finally broke. She just wanted them to leave her alone. When police officers use those tactics, people will confess to crimes that they don't commit. At least that's what the defense claimed in their motion to suppress the confession. But would the judge agree? I allowed the confession uh, to be presented to the jury. Because in the judge's experience, recanting a confession is not unusual in criminal cases. After reflection and talking with an attorney, say, oh, wait, you mean that's going to happen to me because of this confession? And I didn't mean it to confess. It was a devastating blow for the defense. With the confession, it was a very, very strong case. And to make the most of it, the prosecutors began their case by playing a section of the tape, the moment where Shanda described just how the gun felt in her hands when she killed her mom and dad. It was cold. And the gun was cold? Cold. What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? I got chills when I heard it. And uh, that quote still stick. I still remember that quote 20 years later. And unfortunately for Shanda, the confession wasn't the only evidence they had against her. After her arrest, the investigators had focused their attention on the oxidation pond outside the family's dairy barn. She told the deputies that that's where she threw the gun. It's a pond, just kind of like a septic tank. Took about three days, four days to ever drain it, but eventually we found the gun. The grime-coated gun was a 38 caliber revolver. The weapon turns out to be a gun that belonged to Landers. And not only had the investigators found it exactly where Shanda said it would be, ballistics testing proved it was the murder weapon, too. Uh, the crime lab was able to match the bullets and the casings and everything else to the gun uh, that was used to uh, kill Bobby and Lander. And in addition to the murder weapon, the prosecutors also produced a witness who was with Shanda the morning of the murder, her 10-year-old daughter. My sister got up on the stand and testified. 
Shanda's oldest daughter had only been eight years old when she accompanied her mother to the farm on the morning of her grandparents' murder. But the judge allowed the little girl to take the stand anyway. She uh, seemed to be very cognizant of her surroundings, uh, of the ramification of her testimony. But just how serious would those ramifications be? Her oldest daughter testified that uh, when she and her mother went over there, Shanda left her with her grandfather uh, and went and milked the cow. She says, a little while later, Mama come, came back, came in, into the house, got me out of the bed, took me outside the house, and then she went back in. Shanda's daughter said she'd waited in the car while her mother went back inside. The car was parked about 50 to 60 yards from the house. The radio was on. And in addition to that, the little girl said that while waiting on her mother, she'd sat in the car with the door open. She says, I didn't hear any shots or anything like that. But there was something Shanda's daughter did hear. What her mother told her when she returned from the farmhouse a few minutes later. Then she came back uh, into the car and told her daughter not to tell anyone that they had seen Mama or Papa. It was a tough blow for the defense. Her oldest daughter saying something very damaging against the mother that she loves. That was a very difficult part of the case. The defense did its best to counter it, though. Much like their claim that Shanda's confession had been coerced, the defense suggested that the prosecution had unduly influenced her daughter's testimony, slowly turning the little girl against her mother over the last two years. She was not in the presence of her mother for a long period of time prior to the trial. The defense also did its best to raise reasonable doubt about the murder weapon. Because while the investigators had found the gun exactly where she said it would be, there was no way to forensically place the grime-coated weapon in Shanda's hands. When they pulled the gun up, they didn't take no fingerprints, no nothing, they said they couldn't. The gun was never connected to Shanda Crane in any way. They also did their best to cast doubt on Shanda's so-called motive. Their best defense was, uh, it's ridiculous to think that uh, someone would kill their parents for $50,000. I mean, who would do that? But most of all, since they hadn't succeeded in keeping it out, the defense made the case that Shanda's confession had been coerced. There have been many, many cases, particularly since DNA has come out, where they have been able to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that people have confessed to crimes that they don't commit. And while her attorneys didn't put Shanda on the stand to profess her innocence, even the judge agreed that the sight of the anxious young mother sitting in the courtroom only underscored the defense's point. She did not seem uh, to be the kind of person who would shoot anybody, more or less her parents. Coming up, will the defense strategy pay off? She's not that person. She's not a violent person. And what will it mean for Shanda? I was trying to keep her from having her life taken from her by the state of Louisiana. On January 21st, 1997, the jury announced that it had reached a verdict in Shanda Crane's murder trial. They were only out for like four or five hours. 
Not only had the 31-year-old mother of three been accused of killing her parents, Lander and Bobby Spears, inside their Washington Parish, Louisiana home, she'd confessed to the crime. She originally confessed to the detectives about five or six days after the murders. The confession was audio taped and played to the jury during her trial. At trial, Shanda's attorneys had argued that her confession had been coerced. I believe we were able to show the jury the real serious uh, problems with the confession. But had they done enough to raise reasonable doubt? It all came down to the verdict. The jury uh, unanimously determined that she was guilty. Shanda's daughter, Megan, is still shocked by the verdict. She's not that person. She's not a violent person. I believe my mom's innocent. But in the courtroom, those who'd heard the evidence against Shanda found the prosecution's case compelling. They were able to support every element of her confession. Determining Shanda's guilt or innocence wasn't all the jury had to do, though. There was also her sentence, and the stakes couldn't be higher. This was a death penalty case. I was trying to keep her from having her life taken from her by the state of Louisiana. And this time, the decision wasn't so easy. The family did not want the death penalty imposed, and I think that had a big bearing on, on the jury being deadlocked and not reaching a, a conclusion to impose the death penalty. Since the jury wasn't unanimous on the death penalty, Shanda was immediately sentenced to life in prison. In Louisiana, if you're not put to death, then uh, it's automatic life. With no chance of parole. She will die in the prison. And that's much to the disappointment of Shanda's daughter, Megan. More than 20 years after her grandparents' murder, she remains close to her mother. I talk to her weekly. I go see my mom two, three, four times a year. She's the same person 22 years later. There's nothing different about my mom. She's still nice, outgoing, best mom ever. Shanda Crane's appeals have all been denied. In 1996, Washington Parish and 32 other parishes across Louisiana voted to ban video poker. Bobby and Lander Spears' murders were a major motivation for the referendum. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.